0: Talk, Konnichiwa. Bonjour, Assalamu alaikum, Shimaku, Nope, Shikamu. That's that's Swahili. Shikamu, Namaste, everybody, and welcome to Tom Talks. Aloha.
1: Uh, <laughs>
0: there you go. Uh, I'm your host Heath Parker, as usual. I play Titanium Mike on Southern Tom podcast, and I'm joined today, as always, by Mr. Mardi Gras himself, Adam Kelly. How the Hello. Uh, festivities treat you?
1: Oh, good. I'm all the way recovered now.
0: Good, good. It uh, only
1: took a week and a half. <laughs> uh,
0: we do have a guest today who I'm really excited about. Uh, and I've decided, uh, much like that cat meme with Salami, Tom Talks listeners can have a little bit of Emily as a treat. <laughs> so, <laughs> how, are, how are you today, Miss Emily Summerlin?
2: So I am a little hungover um, because I did Mardi Gras late and last night was Mardi Gras Priority, and
1: <laughs> what was that? What? I think that, what? that would priority. sum
2: it up. <laughs> uh But I'm, I'm with two of my favorite cats, and I'm, I'm doing some fun STF stuff right now. So as far as drunken hungoverness goes, I'm pretty fucking good.
0: Yeah, well, that, <laughs> that segues into my first question, which was, how, we, how was your weekend?
2: <sighs>
0: that way. <laughs> Yeah, I I gathered how yours
2: was.
1: (laughs) Uh, Mine was good. It was quiet. It was a very nice, quiet weekend. Relaxing. I've made brunch at my house today. It was nice.
0: Nice. So fancy.
2: What what did you make? I'm sorry, I need to know this.
1: I mean, scrambled eggs, bacon, uh, polenta grits, um, some toast, some champagne and orange juice, you know.
0: Those uh, placenta grits are really good. Thanks. I hate it. That's Is one. our goal
1: to make Emily throw up by no. the end of this Tom Talk?
0: That doesn't take a <laughs> it, lot. It can be. <laughs> uh, so I've had, um, I don't know, I guess you take the good with the bad. Um, I had to go to a funeral this weekend. My great aunt oh. passed away. Um, it's, I mean, it's fine. Like, she was up there in years and it was it was time you know i mean her her husband had passed away in the last year and you know she she wasn't gonna hang around for much longer but still it was really sad she has a really big family um you know my <clears throat> she was my grandma's sister-in-law and my grandma has 12 siblings so oh, wow, like, wow. Yeah, yeah there's like a million people there um and it was a you know beautiful service and all that um but other than that <clears throat> uh which you know is is really sad um I worked a lot on uh, I'm gonna run Donna flame uh in the next month or two and so I've been doing all the like roll 20 work on that thanks Adam for helping me out with it
1: sure uh, yeah. that is
0: that is not an announcement for you rabid listeners because this is not part of the show this is practice for me and so some of our friends can uh get an experience playing starfinder um but I also uh hung out with Zach pretty much all weekend um Played some Monster Hunter, uh, watched some Altered Carbon, you know. So even when I wasn't playing Starfinder, I feel like I was like had, still had Starfinder on the brain.
1: Yeah, it's just a, a regular sci-fi type of weekend, huh? Yeah, it
0: it really was. Um, so I suggested to you guys that for this episode of Tom Talks, you guys get yourself some what I refer to as special occasion beers. Because today is all about the brew, and by that I mean homebrew
1: content in TTRPGs.
0: So before we move on, what are you guys sipping on?
1: Uh, well, I got one of my favorite home brews from my home. Uh, they're right there in Hattiesburg from Southern Prohibition Brewing Company. Uh, I got the Devil's Harvest Breakfast IPA. It's long time been one of my favorite beers, and. You know, it holds a special place in my heart being from Hattiesburg and everything. It was one of their OG flavors. They actually changed it. I did not like the original version of Devil's Harvest. It wasn't that good, but they changed it to this breakfast IPA, which is now it's like a go-to beer. I freaking love it.
0: That is also one of my favorite beers like in the world. And I completely agree with you. I didn't like the original. It was like darker and had a weird bite to it. And the breakfast IPA is delicious. Yeah, the original one, it just tasted muddy. Yeah. yeah.
2: <clears throat>
0: so,
2: this is Here interesting. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so, first off, this was planned in as much as Heath said, hey, get some specialty beers. And I'm yep. like, hi. And so, I also am drinking a Devil's <laughs> Harvest. <laughs> <laughs> because it is literally the first IPA that I ever liked. Um, it was what transitioned me from like a complete dark beer porter snob uh, into actually trying to, you know, do drink lighter, happier beers. Um, and it's actually, uh, I first tried it southern prohibition on the tap um and it was delicious and it changed my whole worldview uh so that was one of the reasons i wanted to uh highlighted it today and also because it's a breakfast ipa and it's kind of light and it won't hurt my tongue because i'm still <laughs> a little drunk
1: <laughs> uh so you you need to go get one is that what you're saying
0: <clears throat> um if you're okay <laughs> that, that, with, that, if you're okay, okay with that, yeah, yeah, we can we can pause for a second. Okay, I'm sorry. Hold no,
1: on. no, you're fine.
0: Okay, so Emily's back.
1: Hi. <laughs> so, so you you brought the beer brought now beer. to to the event that you bought that you bought the beer for. Yes, right, you're yes. good now.
2: Yeah, I'm solid. You're really Ah, there. Oh,
1: there it, it is goes.
0: there you go. The
2: am's prepared. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, <Sheesh. laughs> you're here now. You did it. I did I'm it. Proud of you. Oh, so
0: man. I went and got a pick six of a bunch of crazy beers, and I'm actually gonna roll a d six to see which one I pick.
1: Oh, no, I like it. I like it.
0: All right, I rolled a one. Okay, and that will be an Elysian Dayglow IPA.
1: That is a good that beer. Is very Nice. That is a good beer. Well, I, I like their space dust, too. That's yeah, really good.
0: Yeah. Nice. Well, as I uh, you, f- you know, finish beers, I'll inform you of the next ones I get. I'll try, try and roll die, see how I randomize them. Anyways, yeah, like I said, um, this episode is focused on homebrew, okay? and Which is a word, as we know, that is, or maybe didn't know, I don't know, uh, that's rooted in the brewing of beers,
1: right? Mm, yes.
0: Um, so... Before we can dig, uh, further into the topic, let's start at the beginning, okay? Like, so what is homebrew? And that may sound like a simple question, especially to TTRPG veterans, but there's actually, I found out, a lot of confusion and debate around the topic. I looked at several forums and Reddit conversations and threads people have had about the nature of homebrew. Uh, One observation posited that since the term homebrew does in fact originate in the brewing of beers that homebrew is best defined as any TTRPG content that is not commercially available from official sellers. Homebrewed beer is exactly that, brewed at home, not licensed or sold by a company or distributor. So, according to that logic, any element of a game at all, whether in an adventure path, campaign setting, or completely fabricated world, that is not commercially available is homebrewed. However... There are those who have differing beliefs about homebrew. Some people think the term homebrew should be exclusively reserved for wholly original content, particularly uh, Particularly, – I'm not even drinking yet uh, – in regard to uh, rules, lore, and settings. And there are even more – folks who think homebrew is something achievable within the framework of a published AP or campaign setting once you change enough of the rules and lore as to make them recognizably distinct from the AP or campaign setting's original intent. For some, it seems to be a slippery slope, and for others, it seems quite simple and direct. So, how about you guys? What are your thoughts on the the definitions of homebrew?
2: Adam, you go first. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'm curious I mean, to see if we clash uh, thoughts on this.
1: I mean, I think that a lot of that kind of sum, sums it up. I mean, I know that, that there's a lot of different angles in what you just said, but I, I think it really does come down to homebrew is when you create something using the... the. Well, I guess you don't even have to use the tool sets. You can, you can homebrew your own. Home, own system but I think it covers anything from making your own system from scratch to homebrewing a particular item that you put into a published game so like you could homebrew a piece of armor that isn't in the armory or isn't in in the player's handbook you know that you've made specifically tailored for the character and the story that they're they're living. You could homebrew a couple rules like a mini game. I mean, I think all of that falls under that purview of home of homebrewing.
0: So, so you're uh, uh, agreeing with the first kind of definition, uh, definition posited, which is that any content whatsoever that's not commercially available, whether it be within the framework of a pa- campaign or not, is homebrew.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I don't see a, a huge reason reason to like limit it be you know, beyond that, you know, like I don't see the purpose in 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 reducing its scale, you know?
0: Yeah, well and one thing that kind of concerned me while I was doing the, the research is the people that were very um adamant about homebrew being like, no, you're creating your own setting, you're creating your own rules or things like that. Um, one thing that worried me was like, is this a form of gatekeeping? You know, like, are you trying to prevent people from uh, having their own creativity acknowledged because they're not creating something wholly original?
1: I wonder what those people might call, you know, a particular item that you... Th- Let's say you're playing Curse of Strahd and you drop an item in there that's not in the module or in the in any of the published material, right? I mean, that's still a created. What would they call that then? Yeah, if, if not a homebrewed item,
0: yeah, that's kind of my uh, curiosity as well. Is like, well, if homebrew is that specific thing, the holy original content uh, in a, in a large scale, then what what terminology do you use? You know,
2: yeah. um, I, it looks like Adam and I are pretty much in the same camp. Uh, my my thought on homebrew is it's anything that. And, and any scale thing that isn't already, as you said, readily available to the commercial public um, or some iteration of what is like again. And I'm, I'm going to go back to this. Y'all can go ahead and, and prepare yourselves. There's going to be a lot of nods to Curse of Strahd um, because. Well, that's
0: a, don't worry about that because we're going to have some <laughs>
2: Um, So that's a game that we're all familiar with. We've all played and uh, two of us have. um and or are um currently GMing. Uh there's so many instances where I mean that's a very specific campaign setting. Uh mm-hmm. but there is so much shit that I have homebrewed in that. And if that's not if me creating a specialized item or creating or taking a character that's supposed to be a throwaway NPC and building them into, like, a top three, you know, um, important person that they have to interact with. If that's not, like, some iteration of homebrewing, then I don't know what it is, you know? I don't think that creating an entire world should be considered the only, like, the one true way of homebrew, you know? You shouldn't sure. have to recreate a fucking universe for, to be validated for your creations.
0: So, I think... To, to that point, kind of if we're going back to the homebrew as as like a uh, reference to beer kind of thing, um, I think, and maybe I'm putting words in people's mouths, but the people that don't necessarily agree with the first definition that any content whatsoever that is, is not commercially available is homebrew, uh, people that disagree with that, I feel like the argument they might use is, well, <clears throat> are you homebrewing a beer if you just add a little bit of vanilla into a devil's harvest? You know, so with that, I will counter by saying, what
2: if you're just you're taking all of the ingredients that are readily available in a devil's harvest, but you are adding that vanilla? Like, I mean, wh- why is it got to be that I'm just and uh, in response, uh, you know, yes, yes, I'm okay. adding. I want to add Tabasco to my devil's harvest to make myself feel snazzy and fancy. Yes. I just homebrew the shit out of that beer. See, well, with beer, you're, you're... I
0: disagree. Like, I completely disagree. <laughs> like, adding Tabasco or vanilla to a Devil's Harvest is not making your own beer. Like, you just augmented an already commercially available beer. I made
2: it mine. Uh, okay. Yeah, well, I, th-
1: <laughs> I feel like at that point, though, the the metaphor gets lost a little bit because you're not brewing it anymore. You know, you're adding to an already brewed product, right? Um, so, you would have to make your own beer your own ver- you know you'd have to do it from scratch to say you're home brewing um but i think that's that's kind of gets lost there i will say that i do think there might need to be a distinction between homebrew and third-party materials you know and i do think that there is a valid distinction between those so if i were to use something i've purchase off drive through rpg for example yeah you know or like, that are
0: like it, kobold press or
1: something right right that's not homebrew that's a third-party publisher and yeah. i'm still using published material well and you know? to
0: dig go back to the metaphor like adding tabasco to a devil's harvest a the devil's harvest is already commercially available but also you didn't make the tabasco you know <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. fair enough fair enough yeah. so
2: yeah that okay i didn't homebrew that beer I used third a third party. A third party substance,
0: yeah. yeah so yeah. so it seems to me that um, a lot of this gets tied into uh, two things. And that is, uh, oddly enough, finance. Like, that it is commercially available. That it is for sale. That a company or entity is profiting off of it. Uh, the, the things that are, are not homebrewed, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And also that you did it yourself. That you didn't get it from a third party. That it's all from your own mind.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and I found it odd that it that so much of the conversation is so financial you know because like I don't think anybody who plays TTRPGs does it to be like well I purchased this as as though it's a brag you know or like I only purchased this because I support Wizards of the Coast or Paizo so much not because I was interested in the creativity of the product or or what I could add to it you know so I think, I think overall, the whole conversation is tricky and is very problematic and in, in, in not, like, not like you're going to get drug under the bus for it. But it's very hard to talk about um, with people that, that disagree in these regards.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for simplicity's sake and for just discussing, you know, a hobby, a homebrew can be pretty easily defined as a creation at a table. You know what I mean? And in that it's something that you do for your particular game, whatever, you know, for your, for your home game, as it were, you know, like this is, this is whether, whether it's a single item or an entire campaign setting, you know, you're, you're adding your own personality and table dynamic to the mechanics of a game, You're homebrewing parts of it, all of it, some of it, none of it, you know,
2: yeah, I, I that's that's where I'm at on it. You know, semantic is a side. I think it's whatever you were
1: bringing to the table that doesn't
0: already
2: exist.
0: <laughs> okay, so, okay, I'm going to go ahead and say this now. For the sake of the discussion of the rest of this Tom talk, uh, there's going to be a lot of me playing devil's advocate, right? Because I think mm-hmm. we're kind of all in agreement that, like, you know, homebrew is kind of a loose term of just shit you add into a game whether or not you're playing an established ap or not right Mm -hmm. but for the sake of talking about it i've got to i've got to play the other side um so let's talk about settings okay what about settings because i find this to be one of those those slippery aspects of the discussion like how significant of a change has to be made to an established campaign or adventure setting um for that to matter you know Um, Or or for the the, uh, how much of a change has to be made to the lore or the NPCs? You know, like, at what degree is it officially different enough to be a homebrew, you know? If you just take, especially, like, say you take Strahd from Curse of Strahd, but you you change him and make him your own or make him a different character, like, at, at, it's like, at what point is it no longer you're using their NPC?
2: So, I guess that this is a, this is and this is a very personal. This is just me. I don't necessarily know that the the term the semantics behind it really matter so much to me. Like I don't I don't care if somebody considers like my iteration of Strahd to be homebrew or just like I fucked up the stat block. You know, um, mostly I, I I don't I don't necessarily look at it in in that manner, I suppose. So I guess it's hard for me to.
1: Well, I mean, I think that even if, if you're playing it directly by the book, it's going to be different table to table yeah. just because that's the nature of the game, you know, like in the story is going to evolve and adapt to the people that are playing it at that session. The curse of stride game that Heath and I played with Zach is very different than the curse of stride game that I'm running in that you're running. But I wouldn't say I've homebrewed Curse of Strahd into something else, but mm-hmm. it's different. you yeah. know. And, and Strahd is doing different things in my game than he did in the one that I played because it's different protagonists, different yeah. PCs doing different things to irritate him or amuse him in different ways. Yeah. You know? and,
2: and I wouldn't say that any of the changes that I've made to the core setting or some of the core characters were intentionally for the sake of, oh, I just want this to be homebrewed. I want it to be different. It's more or less like this thing happened and along the way I was like, oh, well this'll fuck with my players real good. So we're gonna make a slight adjustment. Or going into it knowing some of my player characters' uh backgrounds. Like, I went ahead and made a few adjustments and added a few different aspects to the, our particular setting. So, I guess I don't necessarily see it as overtly homebrewed for the sake of just say, just, you know, I wanted it to, to be this. It's more or less circumstantial,
0: I suppose. So, so I, I ask because I know me, like, as a player... I like to engage with NPCs in in creative ways. For a long time, <laughs> to the chagrin of Adam, um, <clears throat> I would always try to find really annoyingly creative solutions to situations and conversations, um, and kind of force the DM to add personality, add different traits, add add you know new wrinkles on the fly. Sometimes, thereby influencing the table's perception of that NPC or what have you, perhaps contrary to how he or she was originally portrayed. You know, so,
1: but I don't think that that's homebrewing. I don't think that that falls under the purview of uh, that's just the nature of playing these types of games. That the that everything should be dynamic and responsive to the table that's going on. You know, and that these NPCs are should be alive in their own in their own body. But that's not it's not homebrewing or rewriting. a campaign. I mean, let's take Weldy for existent for for example. He was literally a blurb of a sentence. Like he was more of a descriptor of Corsica than he was his own character, right? It says Corsica, there's all this stuff about her and she has a son, a teenage son, and that is all that is said about Weldy. But Weldy became something much bigger just because of the the natural playing of the game. But I wouldn't say that I homebrewed Weldy I just developed Weldy. What where it become, became a homebrew is when Emily decided to make a world around him and his friends. That's when it, so the world that Weldy is in is homebrew, but Weldy himself isn't a homebrew.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, and <clears throat> I think kind of to Emily's point earlier that she doesn't necessarily do things like for the sake of homebrewing and, and I totally understand that. But I do think there are people that do. You know, like there are people that are are very hardcore in mm -hmm. the homebrew thing. Like, I need every element of what I'm doing to be altered in some way so that I can call it homebrewed. So I can, I can, you know, I I don't want to say it's just so they can feel better about themselves or feel more creative. But, like, I think it's onus.
2: They they want that onus. They want to know that this is something that I have fully created, that I have full control over, that no mm -hmm. one from an outside source can say, Oh, you're doing it wrong. Fuck you. I made this myself. So I get it. I totally get it.
0: Yeah, well, and, and you know, as much as that's not an experience that I've had, I, I think, you know, if this conversation to some degree is tied up in finance, it's almost like people that are like hardcore in the homebrew camp like that where everything needs to be homebrewed are kind of like you know, raging against the machine to some degree. <laughs> like, I don't <laughs> want to be forced into uh, an avenue just because the company that made this posited it that, that way, you know? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, I just find that interesting because, like, like like, I said, I think we're all kind of on the same page just as far as, like, what we think homebrew is, but we also are, you know, our opinions are far removed from other people out there that are that only exclusively play what they call homebrew content
1: yeah I mean maybe so i maybe our opinions on the value of homebrew is different, but I think I think we are all i mean if I understand it correctly, it's we we're, we're still defining homebrew the same way as something that is removed from a published purchasable content, right It's just I think what we're kind of discussing and maybe debating now is. Does, does your games have to be homebrewed to be pure? You know, and no, the answer is absolutely no. I don't think that they have to be homebrewed to be pure, but I understand the value and the allure, especially for somebody who is creative and doesn't want to be pigeonholed in by a purchased adventure, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, kind of my point here is, is not necessarily to agree or disagree with you guys, but just to like force us to explore a little bit, these conversations that other people have that think in different ways than we do. So to that point, um, what, like character creation. Okay. So I think it's kind of inevitable that like some of your players are going to write backstories that interact with settings and lore uh, I mean, just by the very nature of players creating characters, they engage with the world of an adventure, the game itself is affected in ways that aren't commercially available, right? Mm-hmm. Like, your stat block, like, let's take Titanium Mike. Like, I mean, I'm using a soldier build. I'm using stats from the game or whatever, but, like, Mike's backstory is not something that is commercially available from Paisa,
1: you know? I guess. I guess what I was trying to say earlier is that I don't think narrative... Is, is homebrew I think the narrative is always in flux and when I think of homebrew I'm thinking of a mechanical thing or a a, a complete world that has been made as opposed to, every every character has a backstory that's not accounted for or planned for in published material that's how you play the game like they give you everything but the protagonist in every every bit of published material you as the player, create the protagonist and they don't write anything for you for that as far as what your individual backstory is going to be and I don't think that because you have a deep and thought out backstory that you're homebrewing anything you're you are just being very creative and thoughtful about your character creation it would be a homebrew if we said well the soldier isn't really fitting what your character idea is so we're going to adjust the actual mechanics of a soldier to be something more specific to what you wanted to be, and we're changing the rule set. Then you start getting into homebrew territory. But outside of that, it's just that's just narrative, narrative fluff. You know, that's that's never going to be published. You know, you can't buy a character. I mean, you could, but you should don't don't probably, do that. No, you're, get, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're getting r- ripped off. It's yeah. to say,
0: you're missing the point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, and and you know, again, I, I bring that up because because there are such conflicting views on what homebrew consists of, you know? Like, and it tripped me out. Like, the thing is, it, homebrew is not something I re- really even thought about a lot because I have very limited experience with anything homebrewed. Um, I mean, a little bit, but just not a whole lot. And I'm certainly not one of those people that is, like, uh, craving to, like, have every aspect of my my gaming life homebrewed for the originality inherent to that, you know? um. But I don't know, it really was weird to me when I started researching it, like how far down the rabbit hole I kind of went. I spent several hours just reading through like, oh shit, that's not an opinion that I would ever have even Thought realized existed. was an opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm not saying any of them are invalid, um, but but <coughs> some of them are a lot more rigid, you know? And I think there, there are ways that the, ge- the nature of the game itself kind of rails against some of these much more rigid definitions of homebrew.
2: So to kind of like speak to the, the the character portion of what you you brought up. So I'll throw this out there and you tell me if you think that this is considered an atom. If you consider this homebrewing this character um, mechanics or if this is just a narrative adjustment. So there is a very minimal NPC in Curse of Strahd. He is um, like a, a thief, I think, or maybe an assassin. It's Ernst. Okay. Um, he's a basically an errand boy for one of the minor baddies in Um Vallaki, I think. Mm-hmm. So, in my game, in my game, Ernst is not just a run-of-the-mill human that is a lackey. Um, he's actually a Rakshasa that has been trapped in Barovia by his essentially like contract holder mistress. Um, and he is now like one of our characters biggest frenemies. Um, and so I basically took that very minimal and I, I cannot even remember what Ernst you know, stat block is. I think he is some form of like assassin or thief or something to that effect. Mm. Um, but now he's like, a badass, a yeah, PC. exactly, yeah. yes. So, how uh, would you I don't look know. at
1: that? Yeah, that's that is a that's a great example. And so- I think that kind of speaks to what Heath is talking about about this gray area here that can be said because I don't I don't necessarily consider that homebrew, but I can certainly see that there is an argument to be made that it could be. To me, you're just developing the the game that you're playing with, and I feel like that that's just Part of every game or should be you know like you should have that freedom as a GM to develop any of the NPCs as fits your campaign and you're still using the rule set of 5e to build this guy you didn't create your own abilities or anything you Correct. built you just built him out as a character so I don't feel like you homebrewed you just embellished you know
0: so to clarify the, the question is because he's a secret Rakshasa yes okay um and that's not the way that the adventure describes no. him. No. You, you just
1: added that element in.
0: I mean, yes. I don't know. Like, I mean, that is, that is different than the way it was presented. I mean, I will say that. I, I,
1: I'm not, I'm not going to argue that. It definitely is. I think it's just, does that make it homebrew or is it just embellishing the story? And,
2: and again, this wasn't to get a hard and fast, because I don't have a hard and fast answer for that. I just say, it's a thing that I wanted to do, so I did it. And it properly fl- fucked with
0: my characters. Uh, so, I, th- uh, I think so, yeah. I think if we're uh, sticking to that, that first definition of anything not commercially available, I think it kind of does fall under it, because that's not the way that it's sold to you. If
1: we're sticking to yeah. finance, you know? Yeah. But, I mean, I'm I'm not... Sticking to that definition, for for I mean, what it's worth, that's Adam, not where I'm landing it, in it, you know.
2: Adam is pretty against labels, so it's cool.
0: Oh uh, well, I mean, he's gonna have a hard time <laughs> this entire Tom talks because this is this is mostly semantics, you know. <laughs> like, um, but I, I did find I, I just, it. Fascinating. I
1: think I, the way I what's that?
0: I was saying, but I do I do find it fascinating. Like, I know it can be kind of I, it can feel kind of pedantic, but
1: I, to me, home brewing is would be. If, like, okay, f- let's, let's, um,
2: that, that like, gun. Let's take
1: the gun. Or the shovel or something. What
2: was it that did in y'all's game?
1: Oh, yeah, I'm sure he's got that all queued up, so I won't steal his thunder on that. But, uh, I will, I will say that, like, in our Storm King's Thunder game, for instance, there was a piece of armor that, like, I completely, Made, You know what I mean? Like, made the stats for everything. You cannot find that armor anywhere in any published material. And it also had a lot of narrative impact to the story. To me, that part was homebrewed. However, there was also a little gnome NPC that was, um, you know, in the adventure, but Again, similar to what you were just saying, became a bigger part of the story and as such had to become a little bit more robust of a stat block of an NPC. But I don't think that I homebrewed Ellister. I just embellished him to fit the story. I do think that I homebrewed the item that was in there because that was made from scratch. You know what I mean? I don't think that you can say that anything that deviates from what's written in an adventure narratively becomes homebrew because that's not how adventures are meant to be run. You're supposed to embellish the, the, the adventures APs or modules or whatever are there to give you the basis for you to work on and then develop with your players in that, those circumstances. So I, I have a hard time saying oh well just because our story deviated a little bit from what's written well that's hungry i don't think that that's the case
0: well and that i think is why this conversation is so so tricky is because the nature of this kind of game itself is that you are purchasing a product that is designed to be fucked with it is it is mm-hmm. there for you to mess with now you can run it straight i mean you can run it just by the words on the book and plenty of people do and have a great time um but insofar as, like, what is homebrew, like, it just becomes really slippery. That's what I keep coming back to is, like, when you're trying to go through these, like, rigid definitions of it, like, none of them seem to be, like, spot on, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, none of them are 100% accurate, in my opinion.
1: That's why I like using it as a generalized term rather than a s- specific term, because I think it's, it's, it is too general of a topic to be so specific. You know what I mean? Because it can it can cover such a wide scope of things. Because while well, it, it it does cover that item again, it, in in the Hacky Sack Heroes, the, all of that's homebrew. Everything that we play in that is homebrew because Emily is creating those scenarios, is creating those monsters, is creating those mm. NPCs. Mm. You know,
0: but she is using an established system. She's using them based on the rules of an established system.
1: Right, but she's still creating stat blocks that don't exist anywhere else. You know what I mean? Mm. So I mean, if we're talking about homebrewing whole systems is the only way you be homebrew, then I I'm not I have nothing else yeah, to say. That, in this is, conversation. Yeah. <laughs> that is the that is
0: the most like far like to use political parlance, the like hard right wing <laughs> like sect of what homebrew is and then it's like, well, not everybody's a fucking game designer.
2: Yeah. You know? No.
0: And and so yeah. many games have already been designed. Like you're hard pressed to have every person who wow. cares about homebrew create a whole new system. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm
2: not going to reinvent the wheel when you know great shit exists already. So
1: yeah, there's. Well, I don't think you need to to homebrew either. Yeah, I think that the the system, the core rules are your tools that you then use to homebrew. Yeah, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think you know one of the particularly tricky things about homebrew and and people that. Are um, diehard like I want to homebrew everything. Is that if you are not very very knowledgeable about game balance, you're gonna continually fuck shit up. Like you're yes. gonna, right. you're gonna get yes. people right. killed, or your encounters are gonna be too easy. You yeah. know, uh, it's yeah. very tricky. I mean, you need if you're gonna be uh, very into the like I want to move into a whole new era of like I'm heavily homebrewing a lot of stuff. Like you, there's a certain amount of hubris that you could fall prey to for sure yeah okay so now that to some degree we've sussed out to the best of our abilities what homebrew is um i wanted to talk a little bit about our own experiences with uh the general term of homebrewed content uh i wanted to start with emily because she probably i think probably has the most experience with with homebrewing stuff um, I know my own experience with homebrewed or off-book content, which that's another term. Is you could just use like off-book. Like this may not mm. be homebrewed, but it's off-book.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Um, but my my experience with homebrewed or off-book content is really limited. So, Emily, um, just how much homebrew content would you say you've been involved with? Um, obviously, you're running Hacky Sack Heroes for us. Uh, but neither Adam nor I are privy to all of your DMing shenanigans and machinations. Um,
2: good good use of the term machinations. I fucking love that word. It's like one of my top five favorite words. Sorry, <laughs> okay. I digress. Um, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, I would say in my in-person games. So uh, I'm wor- I'm running currently. Carstrad is kind of my ongoing campaign with my. Uh, in-person group and I I would say I'd, I'd use about 85% of the actual content of the campaign is legit straight from the book uh, because uh, as I said before you know it's an established AP it's it's good it's good stuff it's been uh, as popular as it is especially for 5e you know um, for a reason great character very great settings um, but I do add in a lot of items uh, because I like to lean into the, and I've used this term a few times, uh, I like to fuck with my players in that game, particularly because it is gothic car. Um, so I will homebrew a lot of different small level items that, for instance, there is an occasion or three that uh, the players in this game will meet with hags. And hags are notorious for having very interesting layers and uh, items within said layers that are literally designed to do nothing but um, cause mischief and mayhem and, and you know, evil against the person who tries to use it. So a lot of cursed items, uh, small level, just kind of interesting things to keep the game uh, very lively and have had some overall very impactful moments on the game, the, the whole, the whole, you know, uh, the whole experience. Um, outside of that, though, I don't necessarily mess with a whole lot, with the exception of the Rakshasa character, and, um, another character that I just kind of, like, changed his whole stat block, but I won't really speak to it, because it is a, it's a big spoiler. Um... But for the most part, I do stick very much to the, the, the written AP. Outside of that, I do a few um, one-shots periodically. I have a few people in like my local friend group that are trying to get into the TTRPG scene. And I act as kind of like a shitty Sherpa for that in certain aspects
0: and shitty sherpa Sherpa. i i in the course of this conversation and i hate to cut you off i've already decided i want each of you to create a new character for the next game you're in and you can be shitty sherpa emily and i want adam to be a military a former military leader called uh, general specific
2: (laughs) i think that they could pair quite nicely together it would be very interesting um but i i homebrew all of that um any any of the one shots that we do i you know put together the um entire set uh, setting the help them for that it is all setting i do of course use um and i do use 5e for all of those because that's really what people are more comfortable uh, coming to me asking me for um so i'm using those set rules um but i build the 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 setting and the scenarios and everything and then, of course, with Hacky Sack Heroes, everything there is using the Starfinder, uh, the core book, the core uh, system. And then I have built, you know, planets, um, new monsters that are kind of sort of piecemealed from a few different variations on a few different creatures across a few different systems. Um, but yeah i mean again in every one of those things the the core system is still on book as it were uh, but i do a lot of flavor enhancement as when it comes to like settings and um certain npcs and 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 monsters so yeah
0: you know where i'm at you built a whole planet you're you're over here playing god (laughs) technically i built Technically, I've built four planets now. So, <laughs> Jeez, your resume is amazing. I... Humble brag. Uh, humble brag. Yeah. Weird has, flex. Has, okay. Has, hashtag humble brag. <laughs> um, so, so Adam. Um, I mean, you obviously are the GM I have the most experience with. I have played for other GMs, Zach, um, but you run a lot of games. I mean, you, yeah, you do, I do and have run a lot of games. I mean, I don't even off the top of my head, I would guess that you've run what like eleven games. Um it's probably getting upwards
1: about fifteen this Jesus point.
0: Christ. So I also know about you that you are Hashtag a, humble brag. Yeah. <laughs> has, <laughs> Weird you, flex. You guys car. are killing it. Uh we're gonna we're gonna make a uh like one shot adventure so you can play Shitty Sherpa in General Specific and they just humble brag the whole time. I love it. Um But no, uh you've you've played uh run a lot of games you haven't played in very many. Um, but I know you're also very much a by-the-numbers guy. You're a by-the-book, um, running it as close to the book as you can. And, mm-hmm. and the slippery thing about this conversation about homebrew is that even you, a kind of more straight-laced kind of GM, necessarily have to you know, go with the flow and, and change things on the fly. So I know it's a, a difficult question to ask, but like, how much homebrew you know, would you say you've inserted into your games?
1: Well, I mean, I guess it, a lot of times it depends on, on the game, but as I mentioned in Storm King's Thunder, there was definitely uh, a couple different um, magic items that I constructed and built and added into that game. Um, with the curse that I'm running, you know, I have changed some of the treasures that are in there to actually be more meaningful. Um, for instance, uh, and this is slight, slight spoilers for Strahd. um I'll just say that one of the three main artifacts that you're trying to find is pretty underwhelming. When you get it, it really doesn't have any kind of mechanical purpose. So I put in a bunch of, I put in a mechanic system of being able to um, research this artifact. And the more you research it, the more like you can actually learn some information. There's dice rolls and stuff that can go in that. Although I didn't particularly oh. come up with that. Um, I found that online through different resources, but there's a way to kind of expand this particular artifact. But I would consider that homebrewing that artifact to have more...
0: Uh, mechanical value. Uh, actually, if you found it from another source, it's like adding Tabasco to your devil's harvest. You didn't homebrew uh, that, it.
1: <laughs> I didn't. That's but what I just didn't. said. I, I know. I'm just fucking with you. Somebody else homebrewed it. I'm reaping their benefits. But um, I'm drinking their Tabasco beer. Yeah. Um, Great. But then, of course, in Aeon Throne, in Southern Tomfoolery, I, I mean, we homebrewed an entire right. mini-game. You know, I mean, that was ground, ground up. There, there is no boxing rules in, in the core rule book. This was, you know, but we did use the math that is present in the core rule book to kind of guide us through that. And then, of course, we had help with, um, Brian and Sheo kind of contributing to that and making the full robust boxing system that we have. So I, what I like to do is I personally, I think APs are really good because they, for the most part, are in tandem with the math and the balance of the system. And so, like, it's really difficult, as we kind of touched on earlier, to maintain that balance. You can either make something really OP or really underwhelming very easily without a full understanding of the rules. So that's why I like to use the APs. But I like, I like putting like little mini systems into the APs, like little mini games or like little mini like there was uh for a while josh when he was josh and zach's characters in um southern tomfoolery had like corruption points um which is not a 5e mechanic it is a pathfinder mechanic come to find out i didn't know that at the time
2: point of clarification you said southern tomfoolery you storm king storm king's,
1: storm king's okay. thunder thank you yeah um they, they, you know, as they did things, they had to roll these dice. So that's the kind of homebrewy stuff I like. Items and, like, little mini-games. Little mini-mechanics.
0: So that kind of uh, leans into to where I was about to go with this, uh, which is, like, rules changes. Uh, and inevitably, we were going to get to the boxing thing, which, you know, obviously is one of the few, like, kind of homebrewed experiences that I've had and I thought was very cool in that not only was it i would consider for sure homebrewed but that it was very much a collaborative homebrew it was Mm -hmm. it was a project between multiple people not just one person claiming credit for it you know you and i play tested it and well you and i came up with the the base rules for it um because I had a little more boxing knowledge than you did, you had more of the math knowledge than I did. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. we kind of put it out there a little bit uh, once the episodes released and got help from the community. And that to me was very cool. like and that's one of the ways in which homebrew can be very uh, satisfying um, and not just you know doing homebrew for the sake of homebrew. Mm-hmm. Um, so but I did want to ask about rule changes in particular and what other other than the boxing game. What other kind of rule changes you guys have implemented? I know uh, the one I could think of for sure was when Adam ran Tomb of Annihilation. There is an exploration mechanic when you're exploring this giant jungle that mm-hmm. um, everybody kind of got real bogged down in and was not having a good time, and you kind of hand waved a little bit or simplified. Yeah,
1: and yeah. so
0: so what was the specifics of like what did you what did you change? About
1: that. Okay, so so in Tomb of Annihilation, there is a large map that has the old school hex crawl. Oh, hey, I'm sorry,
0: I don't mean to interrupt you. I had to. I finished my beer, so I was going to let you guys know what my next one is. Uh, I rolled a two, and I got a Golden Road Melon Cart. Have you ever heard of that? It 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 is a watermelon wheat ale with honeydew and cantaloupe. Oh my God, where did you get
1: that? Uh, Corner market. I have also switched myself just now to the Left Hand Brewing Company Milk Stout Nitro. Mm. Very, good. Very mm. good.
2: That's
0: an Emily beer.
2: Mm-hmm. You had me at Milk Stout, and then you really had me at Nitro. Yeah. Mm.
0: So, so Golden Road—I've never heard of that
1: brewery.
2: I,
0: I don't know. I'm going to have to look for that. That's yeah, really I, d- good. I don't know where they're based out of.
1: Uh, so yeah. Anyway, so in in um, Team Annihilation, there's this old school hex crawl portion, uh, I mean it's a big chunk of the adventure, to where you're uncovering hexes through this jungle and what you're supposed to do is roll a bunch of different rolls for each hex, you you have to roll for the weather each day you have to roll for random encounters in the day, in the afternoon, and in the evening and then and then there's also this getting lost mechanic to where you can end up in a hex that you didn't mean to be ended, ending up in And, like, at first, like, you know, I was like, ooh, this would be cool. This is something different. But in in play, it just didn't work for the table. So what I ended up doing is we just went to... I kind of went to already chosen random encounters. And I I went ahead and did all the weather rolls ahead of time and put it on this, like, calendar that I made. So, like, all that stuff was already done. Spreadsheets? Yeah. And so, like... It got, to, it got to be much more fluid. And um, to me, though, that I don't think that that was homebrewing. That was house-ruling, okay. which I think that there is yeah. a difference, right? So
0: that's the, the question I was going to ask, which I, I think uh, I'll state it more generally. Are there situations in which you would consider um, streamlining or simplification of a system homebrew? No. No, no it's just house-ruling. No. Yeah. Yeah, it's house okay. ruling. Yep. Okay. I have to ask because it's the theme yeah. of the show. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I mean it's it's in the same feel for sure, but it that, that is definitely just house ruling things for the table, mm-hmm. you know, versus home brewing. I think homebrewing requires a little bit of creative uh, it requires creative input. Yeah. You know, you have to be creating something to homebrew, you yeah.
2: know. Yeah. I think that's the difference kind of between like an actual rules creation versus, like, fiat.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So, but but reduction is is always going to be based on an established system that inherently can't be homebrewed because you are just reducing something else. Right, right. Okay. You're not creating anything
1: new, Yeah. you
2: know? Yeah. It's not even reduction necessarily. It's just, like, simplification in advance or something like that, you know? Yeah, like, so,
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, technically... The rules were still there but I just instead of waiting until the session to do the rolls and then look up what that random encounter was and see that this random encounter has nothing to do with the through line of the story it's like well what I'm going to do is roll see where the random encounters go and then I'm going to look through the random encounters pick the ones that make sense for this group's story and then I'll throw I did homebrew a few random encounters there though I will say that there are some random encounters that i put in there that i wanted to do you know that aren't in the book you know that aren't a random encounters option in the book it was just like i think i want them to meet a crazy talking bush so they're going to be a crazy talking God. bush you know?
0: <laughs> so so um ooh i brain farted um, i can smell it from here it <laughs> what smells like watermelon and cantaloupe um That's this a pleasant by the way, this beer is delicious this is oh I gotta find amazing. it amazing gotta find it man um we'll pause okay so you know as as far as this uh, homebrew conversation we're having I only have like one more little topic um uh, before we kind of get out of here um I know we've talked about Curse of Strahd I'm sorry for for all the Paizo hardcores a lot of our experience before we started Starfinder was in 5e and that's just the nature of who we are as players
1: um, but I know I, I'm not going to apologize for it Go play Curse of Stride And then talk to me about Not liking 5e
2: Hideous S- laughter Seriously. Calm your tits Okay, Griffin Calm down Yeah,
1: cal- yeah. Curse, you specific- Curse of Stride Curse Stride You specifically <laughs> well, well, you guys <laughs> Calling you out, Griffin You guys know my, my
0: opinion On the uh, edition wars I think it's bullshit mm-hmm. Like, let people enjoy What they enjoy And give things a chance um, but I know both of you, Emily, you're running a Curse of Strahd game, which is 5e, and Sack uh, Heroes, which is Starfinder, homebrew. Um, and then, of course, Adam is also running a Curse of Strahd game, as well as being the GM for Against Aeon Throne. Um, but I was curious whether you guys feel like one of these systems more readily lends itself to homebrew.
1: Oh, I think 5e lends itself to homebrew more than anything, because it's the, it's, it's the most tight system. Like, it's really hard to fuck up 5e. Yeah. You know what I, I was mean? Just,
2: like, I, I, I took tight as the wrong thing. I was like, oh, man, I think it's kind of more, like, easy. Like, I know what you were saying with that, though. Like, like,
1: yeah, like, tight on the numbers. And, like, it's like, uh, you know, to go back to the old comparison that we did when we did our Tom Talks on Edition Wars, 5e is a Mac. And, you know, Pathfinder or Starfinder is, like, a high-tuned PC, you yes. know, like if you know what you're doing, yeah, you can homebrew the shit out of that, but you can also really, really, really fuck it up if you don't know what you're doing and you put the wrong pieces in the wrong place. A Mac, you can't get in there and fuck with the inner workings as much, but you can't fuck it up, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, good, good conversation, guys. I mean, like I said, I wanted to do this one because homebrew is a much more complex conversation than I initially mm-hmm. thought it was. Um, But, you know, again, good stuff. Adam, do we have any listener questions this week?
1: We do have some listener questions. I mean, we've got enough listener questions, I think, to do a whole time talks of listener questions. But I've picked out some relevant ones for today. Uh, so we're going to start with the ones that are for Emily specifically. So Emily Porter Paladin asks, uh, how do you? Do you design encounters? Uh, you know, have you noticed contrast between your approach and other DMs you have talked shop with?
2: Um so my my encounter approach is it's it starts off really basic. Um uh, I love me some encounter generators to get kind of a base idea of like CR and um just kind of get some of the juices flowing a little bit. Um but I have <laughs> specifically with my 5e group my my Stroud group they are a little op and i've had some issues as we've played with encounters that i thought should have been like deadly and they just wiped the floor with them and it was like an ongoing thing so i actually had to approach how i build encounters encounters a little bit differently um so i will be honest I don't necessarily talk a lot of shop with uh, any other DMs, GMs about like actual encounters. Adam and I talk a lot about like story elements and variations on that, uh, but I, I don't necessarily get into the numbers a lot um, with anybody. Numbers are not my thing. I'm very much story driven, um, so encounters has been something that I have really had to dig into. Um, getting the the numbers right behind that so that the, the, the fight is balanced uh, was really something that I kind of struggled with. Um, but I have found that I really like to use uh, a couple of different things when building kind of like unique different encounters. Um, using the terrain as part of the encounter is really important, I think. Um, especially, I agree. Especially yeah. when you have these fleet-ass motherfuckers that can move, you know, um, 80, 80 feet and around uh in just their movement uh or no what was it stripes character could oh he could move a-
1: like 120 feet or something like that in one. Round. and
2: then still ridiculous. have an action like it was yeah. stupid um but so definitely using the terrain to your advantage um in like one thing that we recently did uh there was like hidden difficult terrain that i kind of like through at them periodically through around the map uh, so that it kind of like fucked with them. Another aspect that I have really found to be helpful, and this was kind of hard for me to wrap my brain around, rolling initiative twice for the same monster, like a, 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 a boss essentially. Um, it kind of helps to break up some of the action economy that otherwise can either let your players wipe the floor or can get your players killed. Um, so, so what do you mean?
0: You you roll two initiatives and then decide where you want to place them based on that. Or they get two. They turns get they run? get two
2: turns. Yeah, gotcha. Essentially,
0: you just you're just giving them two turns, or I, 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 am I confused about they, something?
2: No, they I roll two initiatives and then that that monster or whatever. And this is only for like large scale single monsters. Um, I don't necessarily do this so for like... So it's like, like
1: m- kind of like giving legendary actions exactly. to monsters that don't have legendary actions. Which oh, is, okay. the,
0: which is so, the next thing. So it, yeah, it specifically, would be, it would be buffing that creature yes. up a little bit in some regard. Oh, it's but it's, definitely but, it's, yes. but yeah. it's so that like if you roll a low initiative for the monster and everyone goes before him, they don't kill him in one turn.
2: Exactly. Okay. Which is something that very recently happened again in my Strahd game. Um, Because I decided I didn't want to do that. I was like, oh, I'm going to go easy on them because of where the dungeon they're at. They're already having a lot of issues. Uh, Fuck them. I should have done that because he did poor initiative. And, uh, I mean, he was, yeah, it was a mess.
1: How are you going about developing the scenarios for Hacky Sack Heroes?
2: So, for Hacky Sack Heroes, it is very much like... When I build the monster, obviously, um, I'm building it around a lot of the terrain and the elements. Uh, a lot of that goes into what planet they're on. You know what?
1: So you're like really considering the ecology. Oh, of the of the encounter. Very much so. Because yeah. like, you know, I think well, that uh, it's pretty clear that that we we as a group are are going are. Going to explore new worlds. Mm -hmm. And that most of what we are gonna encounter is indigenous life forms of new worlds. And so that gives you kind of a construct for each of your scenarios. It's like, okay, I gotta build the world first, and then what kind of creatures would live in this world? And then those creatures will have these kind of stats based on based on that Absolutely.
0: And also, like, of course she's focusing on the ecology because this woman is so powerful that she has created four planets (laughs) by herself. (laughs)
1: All right, well, let's uh, let's move on. This one is also from Porter Paladin, um, but it's about Ziva, so we're actually going to talk about our main show. Okay, what? Uh, oh, hey, yeah. I did everything
0: <laughs> I could to avoid it this time.
1: <laughs> uh, so the question is about Ziva, uh, this is again, from Porter Paladin. As far as I know, envoys are not a melee combat class, but... <laughs> Ziva's done fairly well between good tactical cooperation with Mike and having the inevitable downfall. Do y'all think that mid and high level play will start to make that play play style more risky? Or does Starfinder have enough in the way of feats and equipment that Ziva can continue to delve into the melee fighting when she wants?
0: Go ahead, Heath, please. My answer is yes. Um, it, 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 it is going to make it a lot more risky a lot more punishing potentially also this game is uh, in Paizo's vein uh, very feet heavy and due to that there are things that you could do to, to minimize that risk and to maybe even make it work in your favor if you pick the right feats
2: um, you know what Heath, you're not wrong, Um, but no, yes, Ziva, I I absolutely think that that it will make it much more risky to kind of continue in the melee fashion, Um, and if if you're, well, I won't say that because people listen if they're not caught up to these. Is that? I don't know. I don't know where we at on spoilers. Maybe
1: don't. Maybe don't. Yeah. Say up to fifty.
2: Okay, so Ziva is well aware that her being front fighting is very risky and that that is you know a a chance that she's taking and she is doing some soul searching and trying to figure out what is best for her and her party in the future and i will just say that um yes it's very risky and yes there are some feats that i have looked into um but it it kind of depends on the next few encounters that we have to see sort of how and and i'll say this a lot of what ziva does and a lot of what emily does is mechanics are built around story
0: yeah
2: so if something happens in story that i think is going to be impactful on her i'm going to play her that way
0: yeah so and that's that's a very very much an integrity move that i appreciate a lot you know
1: well, I mean, that's something that's really important to our table. Yeah. I think all of us choose mechanics based on our stories, yeah. right? Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. well, and, and But I also think this is an interesting question for another reason, and that is that <clears throat> even if you make a not uh, completely optimized character for story reasons or for whatever reason, um, one thing I like about Starfinder in particular is that there's so many interesting and unique feats out there that... You can overcome a certain degree of that by finding feats that not only synergize with your build but synergize with your party, and that's something yes. I think doesn't get talked about enough. Is that feats aren't just for you; Fe- mm-hmm. the feats you take also interact with your party, you know. And one hundred percent, absolutely.
1: Okay, good, good answers, team. Um, we're going to move on to. The final question for Emily specifically, and you know, because you're our guest, you get a Bear Claire question. Yay! And (laughs) these are always these are always you uh, say risky. You say yay.
0: You say yay. All
1: right. So this is to Ziva from Bear. What is the pools of paradise policy on shameless nude old men in changing rooms?
0: Oof! So, so what's oof. their YMCA uh,
1: policy?
2: Big yep. oof! Um, if it's in the changing rooms, I mean, it's very much like.
1: What if it's in? What if the old man is not in the men's locker room?
2: Oh well, no, that's not that's not allowed. No, so um, <laughs> so the pools of paradise are a very free form fashion kind of place. Um, It's you are there to enjoy yourself, but of course at uh, everyone else's consent, Um, there are multiple uh, escorts as well as uh, security members that would politely request that individual to GTFO. Um, And so, yeah, no, um, if he's, if he's dang, where he's if, supposed
1: to be If yeah. he's where
2: he's supposed to be, hang that dang all day long My name. Um <laughs> But
0: um Hang Hang thwackle
1: dang <laughs> Hang, back,
0: hang uh, thwackle uh, dang no, no, I want to piggyback on that one a little bit Oh god! Because the thing is Please. like, With the pools of paradise being the kind of establishment That it is, which I think is very much Like um, A kink inclusive kind of place Like much what so. if that's their kink you can't shame in these people, Ziva. You can't shame in them.
2: No. And well, that's where it rolls back to. It all has to go with consent. Yeah, so, sure. I yeah, mean, sure. It, everybody's got to be on the same page. So yeah. there are boundaries right. for a reason.
1: All right. So that's that's it for the Emily specific questions. Now, I do have um, kind of a general question from from Pukako. Um Obviously, you know he says, "Have you ever played a ham- homebrew campaign?" Obviously, we're in the midst of starting playing one now. But the real question here is, how does it differ around the table in comparison to a published AP? You know, and I guess that's more for me and Heath to answer because you're you haven't actually played in a homebrew. No, Have not
0: you? really.
1: Yeah. Oh,
2: you mean Emily? Yeah. Have you? Yeah. Have you? Yeah. yeah. Um. The very, very first instance of D&D that I ever had was with nine players, and it was six hours long, and it was a hot-ass mess, and it was homebrewed. And it almost soured my experience for TTRPGs, but then I found you guys, so it was well, all fun.
0: I, I do think that's the risk you run with people that are like really about doing homebrew, but don't do their research, and also yeah. uh, and and don't know the balance that they need to strike with it. I mean, you said right. there's nine people, like that's imbalance yeah. to begin with. That's
1: too many. <laughs> yes, people. but
0: but even even if you did know the numbers or whatever, I think. Um, I would avoid if you're a heavily homebrew kind of GM. Like I would avoid that for new players. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, a new player needs to learn the system and needs to learn the rules of the game. And if you're constantly bending those rules or breaking those rules completely, they don't they don't know what to expect and they can't get into a routine of what this game is.
2: Yeah. To be fair, this was just a weird weird pickup yeah. game. Uh, it didn't really count. But y'all, y'all tell me your experience with
1: homebrew. So I'll say, for me. And then I'll let Heath answer. For me, you know, I've only played a couple games. Um, But the biggest difference that I feel with the homebrew versus being an AP is that I I guess I feel like with Hacky Sack Heroes that the adventure is much more like specific to us as, as, as characters. Like, It's not so much that we're, like, coming into a world that we're having to solve problems of, is that this world is growing with us as characters. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's
0: more customizable to your players, kind of thing. Right,
1: right, right, right. Because everything that we do... I mean, I... uh, Yeah, I can't talk too much, because that'd be spoilers for hacky sack heroes but the recent encounter that we did had some mechanics involved that were very specific to one of our characters and it made for a really cool experience because like that character got to use their thing you know what i mean and i think with homebrew you kind of have a lot more ability to construct encounters because you are constructing the encounters to really take into consideration the the players that are playing that being said, the other side of the coin is playing an AP, makes it fun because you're you make this character that's its own existence, and then it, that character has to deal with the realities of the adventure that it's in, whether you were tuned for it or not. You know, so there's there's it's different pros and cons of it, but I think that's the biggest difference that I feel between the two, as a player. Yeah,
0: yeah. and, and uh, as as an aside, I, I do want to clarify, like the purpose of this Tom talks is not to say is homebrew good or bad you know it's it's what are the what are the benefits what are the what are the technicalities you know what are the pros and cons that kind of thing um i think in my experience so far which is limited to hacky sack heroes i it's hard for me to really give a meaningful response in that regard because so far i i i want to say it's you know what's coming up can be more unexpected but like you know also if you're in an ap and you've never played it before which is the ideal way to do it like you don't know what's coming up anyways like you may have you may have more of an idea flavor wise like donna flame is gonna have some fire related shit in it you know Mm -hmm. but like i don't i I don't think i've had even now enough experience with homebrew campaigns to really note what the market difference is
1: you know Mm -hmm. yeah okay all right um Let's see here. The next question is coming from Alex Giordano. Hey, Alex. All right. Do you prefer, as players and or as a DM, having a single individual be the big bad of an AP, i.e. a Rune Lord, or an organization being the big bad, i.e. the Islanti? Also when do you prefer to know who the end boss is right away or later in the adventure? That's a good question. Yeah, that's a really
2: good question. Um, I'll go first. If that's cool. Yeah, get it. it. Uh, so the first part, I think it is fully dependent on the AP, the setting, you know, uh, as to whether I I would prefer it to be a, a big boss, a single boss or like, you know, the Aslanti, um, I will say, for setting-wise, for horror, I really like a big bad, like a single boss. I, I, I just, I think it's very, like, you know, that quintessential, like, he's the... Big bad guy in the tower, and you your whole focus is to get after him. Uh, but then I really also love like the dismantling of the organization. Uh, I think it really depends on the setting and who the players are as to what my preference is for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but as for finding out, I really like for the players to know up front or very soon into the game who the bad. Who the the baddie is essentially, mm-hmm. but I really enjoy it when the baddie is inserted in secrecy throughout the campaign in different guises or different um, aspects or faces. You know, like mm-hmm. if you can if you can slip the the main villain in as like
0: as
1: an al- as ally a,
2: as a confusing or ally, yeah. Like that is just like. Yeah, to me, good. so good I love
1: that. Yeah. yeah. All right, Heath. What about you? What's you? What'd you so
0: I think this is a difficult question, and uh, as as Emily kind of pointed out, um, a lot of it comes down to uh, execution and and how it's done and how the story is written. But to avoid copping out on that, I think, particularly to the aspect of the question of do I prefer a big batter or an organization, I generally lean organization. I think organizations can have an ethos that allows for a lot of nuance in their members that can have different reasons 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 different reasonings Um, <laughs> ah, yes, the reasoning. Yes, I'm an alcoholic. The um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but but the, the members of said organization can have a lot of different reasons for going along with it or can even be at odds with it, but be going along because status quo or because of fear of of mm-hmm. either rejection or, or being killed or whatever. I, I do think I tend to lean that. Now, again, we've all played Curse of Strahd and like a, a you know, Enigmatic, amazing bad guy can really make a campaign click, but I think that's more the exception to the rule than the rule.
1: Okay. You know? Um, I, I don't have a preference either way, honestly, and I know that sounds like a cop out, but like as the GM doing a bunch of different adventures, I like having the variety. You know, I like saying, hey, this one's, you clearly got a bad guy on this one, but in this adventure, you know, you're having mm-hmm. to. Well, I think what I like particularly about Aeon Throne is that it's actually a little bit of both because you go into it thinking that you're trying to dismantle the entire Aslanti Empire and the further you get in, you realize that there is a singular bad guy that is causing grief here in Zola Yul- you know, and so it, I, I liked. It was one of the big reasons why I picked this adventure to run for the podcast because it... It, you right up front, you know who your enemy is, or you think you do. Like the listener and you guys as players have a antagonist that you can immediately be like, "Oh, screw these guys," you know. Um, and it seems so big in that, but then like the bigger you get, you realize it's a smaller problem, but a more difficult problem to to yeah. tackle. So I I, <laughs> I enjoy that, but yeah, it, it, I agree with Emily that it it does um, depend on the situation, and I really like what you said, Heath, about organizations giving you an opportunity to do different levels of the enemy you know yeah. what i mean like i think that's a really interesting yeah concept. well
0: and i will say um i think much more than whether the enemy or, or the you know whether it's a big bad or an organization i'm far more concerned with their motivation because one thing that is a, a pet peeve of mine is like um like in Dead Sons, The Cult of the Devourer. Like evil just for evil's sake without any real, realistic motivations behind it. It's just it. not interesting. It, to, me, yeah. to me, it's incredibly yeah. uninteresting. Like, oh, we want to yeah. see the world end. And it's like, okay, why? Okay, but why? Yeah. Okay, but and why it's like, though? No, but we do. And it's like, okay, but why? <laughs> <laughs> like, that seems like it would be as bad for you as anyone
1: else. You
0: know? Nobody's winning
1: in it, this, my guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, uh, I've got two more questions here. This one comes from Eggman. Uh and he changed C- 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 change C- your name too much. Yeah, <laughs> just, so I'm just going to call you Eggman. You're a regular uh, half red over here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh,
1: would you guys ever consider doing an evil character campaign and, yes. you know, a little joke here call it Southern Tomfuckery, to distinguish between the two?
0: I would I would love to play an evil campaign. I, w- I would think it would be a blast. Uh, I know it can be worrisome in so far as like oh everybody's just murder hobos or whatever, but I think particularly us, like if we did an evil campaign, I would expect that we would pay the same amount of attention to backstory and motivation as if we were doing a neutral or a good campaign,
1: you know? Right. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: I, in my heart of hearts, say yes. I know that uh, just like he said, an evil campaign is very difficult to balance. Um, I'm really interested. Actually, there is uh, the pathfinder, um, AP
1: House oh
2: that's the one. Yes, mm-hmm. and that seems very interesting to me. Um I, I wouldn't be opposed if anybody ever wanted to
1: run that. Yeah,
2: uh, not you, Adam. Um, but <laughs> yeah, <I wanna> pl- <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: I'm I'm not volunteering to run anything else. I'm playing a game. I, I run hey, well, else. you I know, volunteer you,
0: Zach to run well, it. I think so. You know, Adam. I got you yeah. on
1: the getting to play in a game. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, last question coming from Bipolar Pop Tart. And I always like to end on like weird, kind of funny little questions. So this one is: What is the weirdest, dumbest activity you would like to try in zero g? Well, I know Emily's response. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
2: yes, basket weaving.
1: Yeah, you can do just, it underwater. I knew it, had, I knew it had something to do with ropes. Yeah, you can do it underwater. You should be able so, to do it in zero g. So right? is this
0: question for us as people or for characters?
1: Did either okay. one.
0: I, I think, and this may be a little too on brand for me, but like creating some kind of zero G based sport would be really cool. You know, like Mm. like some kind of combination of like a zero g polo, well, like basketball or or, you know a combination of or whatever that Aztec game was. You know where you yeah jai, yeah, but but I'm talking about have like whether it be jai or or basketball or whatever. Have goals on different planes, like one you know like Mm -hmm. on the sides, on the ground, up above, um, maybe even floating and moving kind of thing. I think that would be very cool. So a, a serious answer,
2: kind of. Um, and I, have actually thought about this for Pools of Paradise. Uh, have, like, a zero, zero G space and do, uh, water art acrobatics. Like, essentially, you know, how you, like, you can see the big globules of water just sort of floating in the, um, um, space stations and stuff or whatever. Um, basically, like, creating art with the water formations in zero g and then like having acrobatics throughout that i think that would be really cool
1: yeah you can be the visual component to my zero g activity which i would love to do a concert in zero g in like somehow be like attached to a platform with all your stuff and just like floating around. bro oh, I, I, would, cool. be, I
0: would feel so bad for the drummer like i feel like that would be very <clears throat> difficult for a drummer with all the different pieces of a set and like
1: well no you'd have to like bu- you'd the they'd have to be like on a platform that are bolted and so the so platform, your platform is just kind of moving around yeah I mean, I still, I, otherwise still, you couldn't do I still
0: feel like with with drums in particular, like there's uh, an aspect that you kind of don't think about is like when you you know, like using your kick drum and stuff like your feet are at rest until you mm-hmm. go to kick them. But if they're just floating like it, maybe their reaction time might be a little different, you know, mostly actually, I'm
2: thinking that, that inner
1: ear drums, shit would fuck them up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I, um, With drumming, actually, I think what, uh, the recommended technique is that you actually have your kick drum pedal depressed. Like uh, the whole time until you go. So rather than having your foot off the pedal, like you would be if you were driving, you're gonna have your that kick pedal pushed so the mallet's against the drum, mm-hmm. and then 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 you kick it whenever it's time to hit the beat. No,
0: oh, kick okay. it. Okay, sorry. <laughs> but I
1: mean, if you're doing it in zero G, they can just use a drum machine if it's that serious. Exactly. You know I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Fair. <laughs>
2: i love we took that
0: stupid question and went way too like
1: well, well that's why i like to end <laughs> that's what we do you know yeah. that's what we
0: did yeah. um so that that's all the questions
1: mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. so
0: i realize now um that i was a little bit hasty earlier and i forgot something okay oh. and, oh and I'm, I'm gonna be quick about it um <clears throat> but we were talking about um item homebrewed items and and rule changes and stuff like that and i really wanted to talk about again curse of Strahd. sorry guys play it it's awesome um good times but when adam and i played curse of Strahd, which is one of the few things he's gotten to play in zach was the gm and uh zach what he did is he his mentality very much was like i'm not trying to kill you guys i want you guys to be powerful and and um and have a great time playing the game and in so far as achieving that goal is concerned he basically incorporated a system of loot boxes so like we'd achieve things and then like either strahd or like one of the other magical factions or whatever just fucking would drop a box that is like here's some loot you know and he actually created a whole loot table himself and they were all very cool items and so i was gonna Tell you guys about the item that I was most fond of, and if if Adam's got one, he wants to talk about. It, that's fine. If not, also fine. But I was particularly fond of this item, and a little background: I was playing a druid who was a in five E terms was a, a moon druid, which means he's all about shapeshifting. He's all about changing into animals and like a very like tanky DPS um, shapeshifter kind of druid. So he created an item for me called the Arch Druid's Armbands and they were um, Archdruid's armbands magically adjust their size and fit to any form you take while wearing them and while you're wearing them when you cast your wild shape you gain 1d6 temporary HP for every challenge rating uh, of the beast you become and while wild shaped any creature you attack with your claws must succeed on a DC 12 wisdom save throw or be forced to target you on the first attack they make during their next turn so he built that specifically for me to get to be tanky as a druid right so i got a bunch of um, temporary hp so i could i could tank stuff via my dps but he also and this is what i think so is so brilliant about it is he basically found a way to incorporate an aggro system into D D to where i could actively take aggro like in a world of warcraft type sense where I could make enemies target me so they wouldn't target my allies.
2: Yeah, and I thought that was which was very helpful,
0: cool, and creative.
2: Which was helpful because you had a three-player
0: party. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to <clears throat> bring that up and give Zach a little bit of credit for one of the very cool homebrew things he did because he couldn't be here for this episode. Um, and also, before we move on to our closing remarks, I'm gonna roll a D4. That's a two. <laughs> And I have a Lagunitas Supercluster Ale. Well,
1: I haven't had that one. Yeah,
0: well, it's very space-looking. Uh, it's literally <laughs> described as a citra-hopped mega-ale of intergalactic proportions. That's wow. sexy. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so before we get out of here, unless you had something to say, Adam. Nope. Before we get out of here, uh, the last yeah, closing remarks are, um, do we have any announcements, Emily? Anything, any business that the listener needs to be abreast of concerning the pie?
2: Uh, yes, yeah, so we actually have a new Patreon goal. Um, so if we do, uh, when we reach $400 a month for our Patreon um, subscription people, uh, God, I'm <laughs> winning. Uh, We're going to host a Southern Tomfoolery Community Starfinder Weekend. Uh, So essentially, we're going to kind of act as a liaison to um, get all of our amazing listeners uh, into some online uh, play using Roll20. We're going to set up some uh, various ways that you can pick out whether or not you want to GM something or you just want to play. We're going to have different uh, Starfinder scenarios available. We'll set them all up on Roll20. Uh, Essentially, we're going to help players and GMs connect Over a weekend of play with our community, our amazing people. Um, So that's something that we are really looking forward to on that. Um, And this is not for Patreon-exclusive people. This is just if we meet this goal, this will be available to everybody. Yes.
1: Yeah, and it's—I so. mean, it's—it's a, it's a way for us to get out there and play with with y'all. Yeah, and um, because we will all be involved in it, whether we're—I G- think several of us are planning on GMing a yeah. game. So maybe you could sit around a table with one of us. I mean, uh, but you might be sitting next to one of us at a table. Who knows? Um, we have we have a lot of ideas about this. That I will say that that is a big reason why we set it at four hundred. And I know that seems like a high number, but it's really to give us the time to um, do this properly and to make sure that there's enough interest to do it really big, because we want to, the idea, the way we envision it is that we'll have several, several games going in at once. And it's going to be basically a little kind of mini online convention of play. And so we want to make sure that we can get all the society game or scenarios that we want and get everything put into Roll Twenty that takes a lot of work to do all that. So we need that time and, and we want to make sure that there is a big enough player base there to yeah. really make it happen. And
0: so I yeah. do want to clarify this is all Starfinder and that's for a reason. Like we want to push Starfinder out there. I know, you know, Pathfinder one E, five E are are kind of more popular systems but starfinder has been a big come up a big new game changer in the TTRPG world and it's a system that we love and that <clears throat> we want to introduce more people to and get more people interested in playing so even after this um, community day you may want to go and play some starfinder and start a group yourself and and just expand the overall starfinder community
1: right and, and if this goes well there's there's nothing to say that we can't do it again, you know, but we just want to make sure that we have everything all our ducks and row to do it right.
2: And not only that, but this as a um as a starter point for individuals who haven't explored the Starfinder or Pathfinder uh society gaming system. Um it's mm-hmm. very cool, it's something you can do. Uh so you know we want this to be kind of like a a way for you to play with us and other fellow listeners. As well as again, like he said, get into this system and learn more about society play. So and,
0: and Starfinder as a whole. Yeah, yeah,
1: Starfinder yeah. is definitely our table's favorite game. Yeah, and we're we're big proponents of it, and so we want we want. I know that a few of you that listen have not played Starfinder and kind of wouldn't weren't into it until you've heard us and. I, we, hey, we're that's awesome. We're yeah. so glad, but like, let's give you an opportunity to play, yeah, so you can yeah. really see it for yourself. Uh, I think that's all we have on announcements. Is it? We're not. We're not that's doing a...
0: anything bigger than that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're going to PaizoCon in May. Yeah,
2: we are going to PaizoCon. Also, I bought my tickets for Packs Unplugged.
1: Wow! Ooh. So Emily's going to to. Packs you too, yeah. so you get a chance to meet her there if you're in that area. Yeah, you guys, you guys treat her I... well,
0: especially if it looks like she's going by herself. You know,
1: yeah.
2: I may I may drag somebody else along, whether they like it or not. We'll see. Josh, <laughs> Josh. we'll see. I don't
0: know. Um, Maybe Josh. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that's that's nearly it. I mean, to, it, we got you know. If there's any thank yous we need to give? Um, always, you know. Our, our homeboy at What Do You Do? Pods is is a necessary Jason? thank you, uh, Jason. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Roll Twenty again. You know has been sponsoring us for a while. I don't, I don't know. You know I know it's possible that you guys finish the episode here that we'll see you and cut it off. But we do at the end of every episode give the the Roll Twenty plug. I would like to also mention again, <clears throat> um, Valhaven Studios because I just every time I look at my beautiful bag, which is right <laughs> next to my computer, I'm reminded of how cool
1: that is. Um, you know. Yeah, and I, I will, I want to just say uh, I know we shout them out every time, but HLP, I, I want to yeah. shout them out this time, because y'all, there is there is definitely something brewing. I know that we've teased it quite a bit, but I think that we can I think that we finally can officially say that in the near future, there is a a collaboration show on the horizon between the two of us. So... Keep your eyes peeled, eyes and ears peeled for that because it is happening, and we are very excited about it. it's a coming hideous tomfoolery. <laughs> oh, now you have said too much. We gotta oh, end it. Much. Cut the mic. Too cut much. the mic. We gotta <laughs> end it. Come
0: All right. Well, th- thanks for tuning in, guys. <laughs> Thank you, Emily, for being here with us today. Um, Absolutely. I pleasure. said they could get a little bit of Emily as a treat. I think they got a lot of Emily as a treat. Um, well,
2: everybody deserves a little em- get a little Emily inside them.
1: Alright, we're going to get the fuck out of here. We'll see. There it is. We'll we'll see. We'll see.
2: see. see.
0: (laughs) Hey guys, Heath here again. I just wanted to mention that if you're in the market for a great new set of dice for your TTRPG adventures, then I've got some good news for you. If you head over to NorseFoundry.com, When you make a purchase, you can enter a special discount code given to us by our friends at Norse Foundry and get 15% off. Just enter the discount code STF in all caps, and again, you'll get 15% off your purchase. They've got some amazing dice sets, including some beautiful gemstone dice, aluminum dice, and even some dice that glow in the dark. So head over to Norse Foundry's website and reap the benefits of your dedication to the Southern Tomfoolery podcast. We'll see you.